From Shimano America and Aztec, this is Shop Talk. I'm Shuji Sakai. The 2017 BPSA and People for Bikes eBike Summit was held at Shimano's U.S. headquarters in Irvine, California in December. The Bicycle Product Suppliers Association is a trade group with members from across the bicycle industry. People for Bikes is a nonprofit advocate for bicycle use and takes a leading role on e-bike issues at the federal, state, and local levels. This show features the first of two panel discussions held during the summit. If you've ever wondered how you can get non-cyclists to get excited about riding electric bicycles or how to reach a new audience who hasn't ridden a bicycle in years, you'll want to listen to this episode. Brandy Leepak owns Global Bikes with four locations in the Phoenix area. She sells multiple brands of electric bikes and moderates this panel discussion. The panel is made up of Nolan Moser, Assistant Vice President of the Bicycle Division at Shimano America, Claudia Wasco, the Business Unit Leader of Bosch E-Bike Systems America, John Munhall, Director of Product Management at Giant Bicycles, Chris Nolte, who owns Propel Bikes in Brooklyn, New York, and Chad Price, Specialized Bicycle Components Core Bike Product Director. So good morning, everyone. Uh, the purpose of this panel is going to be to discuss the key challenges and opportunities that we are facing in the e-bike market today. Um, we are going to cover on this panel advocacy across the United States and the work that these brands are doing, uh, market research, retail challenges that we are facing, and training today's workforce and the challenge, challenges we face while we build the service infrastructure. I'm gonna ask each one of you to take a couple of minutes, introduce yourself, and talk about at least one key opportunity or challenge that you're facing in your business. You want me to start? Um, so my name is Nolan Moser. Um, I'm Assistant VP of the Bicycle Component Division here at Shimano. Um, my primary role is aftermarket sales and uh, go to market, which is all our marketing efforts. Um, I'm also part of the leadership team, so have involvement in pretty much all parts of our business. Uh, I've been here in Toronto, going into my eighth year uh, next year. So just one of the big kind of key issues that I was going to touch on is as we started e-bikes, we started uh, a couple years back. And um, what we were looking at is we had a system, and I challenged our marketing team to really try to find who the user is, um, you know, define who the core user of, of that is. And my gut feel and a lot of people's gut feel and what we see, we'd seen in Europe that it might not be the sport cyclist, especially with the initial systems we were rolling out. We were rolling out a, you know, more of a city touring type you know, system. Um, and we know this market is heavily focused on sport. Road racing has been kind of a history, mountain biking. Um, so we challenged our team. I, I was pretty proud of them. We did a lot of research on who the customer was. Um, that being said, the market is extremely um, Understand, well, first we, we decided who we would want to go after. We knew if we wanted to expand the pie, we had to be pretty targeted because um, you have so much you're competing with if you're just trying to go after the general consumer. So we started, okay, let's, it's the general consumer that we're going to go after. Um, and then, okay, who of that general consumer? And so we, we picked a couple key regions. We, we ended up targeting on three regions. We narrowed it down to two groups. And then we started really testing with those groups, uh, mostly through social, uh, as the most effective way to reach those groups. Um, and then from there, we tested five different types of ads. And so when we started uh, with our market, and we were looking at who to, you know, we, we knew it was this general, broader market. Um, the types of ads we ran, uh, I think our first run and when we were doing testing was like $40 to get someone to click through to our dealer locator. So we were paying $40 for every time someone clicked through. And as we started narrowing that down, um, we've cut that cost now. And, and by, by being extremely specific on who we were targeting, we got it down to, I think we're under a dollar now. Um, that being said, we're, we're, we're at a very narrow slice. And, and when I started doing research on this and thinking about it a little bit, um, you know, when you're trying to target this, this broader market, we, we had targeted two groups. The two groups we picked were kind of 30-ish uh, uh, traffic stressed. So people that are driving a lot in cities, and then we focused on cities that had great infrastructure. And then we kind of, uh, the other group we focused on was uh, kind of 50 plus couples and, and that liked kind of a social uh, for health. And, and th those were our very narrow targets that we went in and we went uh, pretty specific in markets as well. 
Um, so then we ended up going after this. We had a lot more response from kind of the 50 plus couples that, that enjoy. Um, that was with the current um, systems we had at the time. But I started thinking about that and you start thinking about who else you're competing with in, in that space. And if you look at pharmaceuticals, I started looking last night, you know, they're spending $6 billion in advertising. So you see all the commercials. So we're, we're actually targeting the same people they are and they're spending $6 billion to do it. So you have to be extremely, extremely kind of narrow focused where you want to be if you're going to compete. And if you're going to make noise, if we're just trying to throw commercials out there, I don't think that's uh, successful. So I think we went really, really targeted and I think we're going to continue to do that um, by demographic and by location to, to try to get the best. Um, yeah, just because the, the competition is out there. That being said, I think that's also our opportunity. So you start with, uh, you know, it's new cyclists um, that you can, you can reach. I mean, we really haven't talked as a bike industry. We've talked, <laughs> my years in the bike industry, we always talk about how do we bring new people in the sport, I think, or into just the lifestyle of cycling. And um, I think that is our biggest opportunity, is how do we do it effectively? Because it's a pretty big, you're, you're going up against hit, uh, heavy hitters um, to do that. So um, that being said, I mean, I, the market is evolving. Um, so now we're getting the e-mountain bike on our products and other um, type of products that it's going to evolve. So now we're, we're, we're more comfortable when it's e-market because we're talking back to our same customer. So I think it'll evolve. Our, our target markets will evolve as, as we evolve our products. Um, I, I have a lot of hope for e-bikes to bring in new people to sport and bring new people into cycling. That's where I think we'll get the, the biggest, you know, if we can do that, it'll transform the industry. If we can keep, if we keep selling to the people that we've been selling to for many years, um, I think we'll trade up. We'll still, still see more dollars, but we won't grow uh, the pie overall. That's all I got. Okay, Claudia. Thank you. Um, yeah, my name is uh, Claudia Vasco. I'm, I'm responsible for um, Bosch e-bike systems, Americas. Um, we started the business here um, in 2014. I've been with Bosch for 25 years. <laughs> I've been um, with Bosch e-bike systems generally from the very beginning. We started the business um, in 2010. Um, yeah, I would like to talk a little bit about challenges. And um, we just uh, conducted a very, very huge um, market research study in Europe. We all know that the market here in the US is still in its infancy. And, but even in Europe, the market is still very, very young, very, very, yeah, just, just um, market which still has a lot of potential and the findings, the main findings um, of the study and I would like to share some of them are definitely relevant for the S market as well. So the current owners of e-bikes is really the older generation but even this current um, ownership they have a lot of different uh, background when it comes to usage so even the current owners are very very different and when we are talking about growth we are talking about the so-called, we call them intenders, those who deliberate to purchase an e-bike. And this is definitely the younger generation. And they have different, very different motives why they consider to purchase an e-bike. So this makes it very, very challenging when it comes to create awareness. At this early stage of the market we are, it's, it's really fundamental to create awareness for the product and to, and to provide the, the benefits of the product. But now having this totally diverse audience and, and potential customers, how to approach them and how to communicate the message with, without leaving anybody else. Um, so this is really a challenge, the way how to approach them in terms of communication. Um, where do they get the information from? You have a very diverse, pop, very diverse audience. What is the source of information they get educated about e-bikes? And that was really interesting as well. So traditional media, is not beneficial for this category. So the number one source of information was um, different um, product comparison, which is here in the US, you may know Kurt Rye, which is um, um, the owner of Electric Bike Review. This was the number one. But the number two, and this is very important for all the dealers here in the room, are the sales staff on the floor. So there's a huge, huge confidence level into sales staff and this gives us a huge responsibility to make them knowledgeable about the product. And the dealers should have just really very enthusiastic staff on the floor, knowledgeable and educated staff on the floor. And we, at Bosch, we, we pay a lot of attention to service, to a comprehensive um, service concept, to really make sure that um, dealers are confident about the product and know all the benefits of the product. And also in the case of 
any problem, guide them in the right direction um, to ensure that the product is being um, taken care of and that um, product comparison. So um, websites like Kurt Ray, um, e-bike review, where he just very neutrally um, gives reviews about different products on the market which are available. Okay, perfect. John? My name is John Monhall. I'm the Director of Product Management at Giant Bicycles in the U.S. And uh, I've been at the company for 14 years and we've been making e-bikes for just about 20 uh, globally. Um, throw all that out the window. It's funny that you mentioned that because, of course, we've learned from other markets around the world, um, from, from Europe and, and previous customers. But now, you know, it's very interesting that the U.S. market is now, you know, approaching it like it's almost a disruptive technology. It's a new customer base, and I'm glad that you spoke to that. Um, what I'm going to share with you is just some of the success we've had with how we've approached more of in the advocacy side. Um, you know, where my, my daily role is more product-centric. Um, I've taken on an internal role as we all wear, you know, four different hats to ten different hats in our company. I've taken on more of a, you know, unbiased role of let's let's all be uh, in the sandbox together. Um, that's why I serve on the BPSA board as well as on the e-bike committee. Um, and we've just put boots on the ground. And it's not really rocket science. It's been an approach that we've taken um, where we've said let's be proactive on a local basis. So whether a state needs our help whether a retailer needs our help, whether our local advocacy needs our help. Um, and we started in our own backyard because that's the most convenient, right? So to give you an example, you know, we've worked with um, land managers in our local area um, or we've worked with the local towns and we went out to them and we said, hey, this was probably three years ago. We started to have the conversation with them and that's the most important part about this. I think we all know, but breaking that ice to have that conversation, getting ahead of it and saying, hey, this stuff's coming and it's not something that you're familiar with it's people like to use the word disruptive it is because it doesn't classify anywhere and uh, we all keep that's kind of the undercurrent of a lot of the regulations conversations so we got ahead of that and we said this is this is coming and this is what it looks like today and this is what it's going to look like tomorrow we're not here to tell you how to do your job we're just here to tell you um, that a lot of local businesses around around this area and around the country are going to rely on this but put that aside you also have a lot of customers that are really going to benefit from this. So we did take a very unbiased, non-branded you know, branded approach to it. Um, and we just sat them down and said, whatever you need, we're going to provide to you. We had a series of, of meetings with them um, that we had to push a little bit more to either go to meet them or have them come to our office. And um, we provide them with everything they needed from, from product experiences to a lot of background on what the technology is and what it isn't, which was the most important thing for them. Um, and then got out of the way. And we continue to do that really on a quarterly basis. We just update them and we get out of the way and we say, you know, you, you do your job. Um, and then lastly, two things is we're using almost all the tools that, that the committee has developed that uh, Morgan spoke to this morning. They've been extremely helpful. It doesn't mean we use them, you know, in, uh, in constantly in every communication, but they're always there in the background, they're always there as supplemental material for us. Um, they're great to be unified across whomever your constituents are, whether that's your company, whether it's your, your sales staff. It's kept everybody very unified, so it's been a very positive thing. Um, and, and, and probably one of the most, finally most important things for us is don't do too much. Like I think we always talk about, um, you know, grander scale things and we forget about that it can, it can happen on a very granular scale. And we've taken that approach to where let's be patient. Let's be patient with the marketplace. Let's be patient with lawmakers. Let's be patient with, um, with those who are, are making decisions that are out of our hands. But let's be supportive. Let's, let's be a little bug in their ear. Um, but let's start small. And every time we've tried to go really big and grand, you know, People for Bikes does a great job <laughs> grand level. But as a, as a company in the U.S. and, and Canada and, and just North America in general, we've approached it in a, in a smaller format. And it seemed to have much greater impact than trying to tackle this this big thing so perfect thank you chris hi my name is chris nolte i'm the founder of propel bikes in brooklyn and uh started 2011 and we focus more specifically on e-bikes um, and particularly on bikes for transportation and that sort of thing 
for, for me, I'd really like to talk to kind of some of the challenges in the space specifically around transportation and in urban environments. Um, because I think that there's still, we're still a ways off from where we need to be as far as the technology and, and some of the, you know, uh, um, supporting elements. Uh, for, for us, we see in New York, a lot of people are challenged with security is a really big thing. So they don't really want to buy e-bikes because they're concerned they're going to get stolen. Uh, we are starting to see that some of the cities are starting to support this with like secure bike parking and, and, and there's definitely a lot more security applications. I mean, you have like brands like Stromer that have the GPS tracking and I think that we might start to see some of these other technologies exist in, in other systems, but I think this is a really big deal. Um, and we see this as, as a, a prohibiting a, a lot of consumers from getting involved. Uh, I think bike infrastructure in cities is a, is a challenge and kind of seeing like how we can coexist in the same, same sort of space, in the same sort of way that it exists in mountain bikes. I think that same sort of conversation needs to take place more so in the cities as well because it's, it's a similar sort of scenario, especially when there's a lot of people sharing the same space um, where I think you don't really see that as much in, in areas where it's more sprawled out and that sort of thing. Weight is a really big thing because people need to store the bike. So, you know, can't, I mean, it's especially in a place like New York, but I know like other cities have similar sort of scenarios where, you know, you might have to bring the bike upstairs and stuff like that. So thinking about that, um, I, I think is a big deal. And, you know, we really look forward to more implementation of you know, electric bike share and that sort of thing. I think that's really going to help to to grow the industry overall. And I think that cities will really make a, a big driving factor in, in building up the industry because from my perspective, in order for e-bikes to really grow, it needs to be cool. And I think that most people kind of look to the cities to, to you know, in setting trends and that sort of thing. and, and um, that's, that's what we're seeing, and, and we're really looking forward to seeing where that goes from there. Thank you. Chad. Um, I'm Chad Price. I'm the, the core bike product, uh, product director at Specialized. Um, basically, we work on uh, the e-bikes and all the city urban bikes. Uh, probably the biggest opportunity that we've, we, we see um, <clears throat> really relates to our retailers. Uh, of course, many of our retailers, uh, you know, built their businesses on, on sport, sport products and, of course, have very passionate people working in those stores. And, uh, you know, really the frontline folks that are working with customers walking in the door, uh, you know, need to see e-bikes as being cool. It's that simple. Um, <clears throat> of course, there can be new customers and those new customers will come. But the frontline sales staff and tech people in the stores uh, need to like e-bikes. And, um, you know, I'll say even going back to our original turbo, our, our, you know, flat bar, flat bar trekking style bike, you know, many of our retailers across the country didn't really embrace it. And they, they, they I mean, I'll say they, they still don't, just in the sense that most of the people that are passionate on the floor are out there riding mountain bikes or road bikes, and that's kind of why they work at a bike shop. They hope to make a career out of it, but that's what they do. And same with many of the tech people. Um, we've had a little more success, and I'll just say that, that uh, it feels a, just totally different this year. I've been out in the field recently. It feels totally different this year than even last year. And I think some of the success we've had with getting our, our, our mountain bike, e-mountain bikes out there are really, really making people on the floors feel differently about e-bikes. And it's going to, uh, it's, 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 what we, it's what we need, meaning our retail channel at least, uh, really needs that to, um, to, to, to ultimately serve all the customers walking in their door. I'm confident that uh, with winning that group over, uh, that, that sales and tech team in our existing dealer group, uh, I'm confident that they're going to be able to serve the wider group of customers that are going to be coming in for e-bikes, but that's, that's, that's how we've approached that challenge. Uh, the related, a related, a much, a very much related issue to that is tech, tech and servicing of that product. I think some of the people coming in the door for e-bikes are people that maybe they haven't seen so much in the, in the past, and their expectations, their expectations for reliability, service turnaround is really turnaround on that product is really 
different than, than uh, you know, some of their existing or their sport customers. Maybe many of those people were able to do it themselves or, you know, they could, they could leave the bike with them for a week. But hey, somebody that's using that bike for transportation, that's got to be done today and ready to go in the morning. And that's something that, uh, that I don't think our shops were really ready for, and I'd say we weren't really ready for. And so um, that's a challenge that we are, are doing our best to, um, to get after. Perfect, thank you. So Nolan, I have a question. We talked about um, budgets and how the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies have these huge budgets to market. Um, as a retailer, a small retailer, what are like the three um, key uh, groups that you would tell me to go after if you know I have a really small budget what would you tell me to focus on so where we found where we found the most success is people that want to be active and it, it was kind of that 50 plus active um, they're usually environmentally conscious so with social media if you've got I don't have the skill but the people on my team have amazing skills at finding the right the right demographic but you can actually dive in and target exactly who you're looking for um, Usually they're health conscious, um, they care about the like, uh, climate, and they, so you find their interests and then you serve them content that actually talks about that. And then um, a lot of even the events we've gone to, you start to go to like clean energy events, you start to go to different type of, um, different type of events where those people are, and, and that's where we found the most. So I, th I think that's where I would focus on it's, um, and then we, we tried with the traffic stress, like the 30, like 35 plus people that would know they're in a tough city. Like you take a city like Portland's growing super fast. God already has a pretty good bicycle infrastructure. Um, to be honest, we've had a rough time actually making that uh, connection to that group. Even if we've tried, you know, 10 different types of ads, and, you know, it's going to be faster if you go on a bike. Here's different ways to go on a bike. Here's maps. Um, and we've really, I mean, we've had some response, but it's been actually usually it's, it's, it's tended to, to drift older. Um, and it's like 50 plus, and like I said, just people that, are, that care about the environment. And, Perfect. Uh, lifestyle. And Claudia, we talked about training our employees to be enthusiastic about the bikes. And what, what do you think that key is to training our staff to be excited about the bikes? Is it getting them on that? Is it just the technical information? How can we get our staff to embrace this and be more enthusiastic? Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely have the philosophy, butts on bikes. You really have to experience the product to embrace it and to get excited about it. Yes, we definitely want to have the staff riding the, the bike because even you just you have to need to, to experience it to be, to, to be able to, to sell it. And you just can sell a product when you're enthusiastic about it, so you have to experience it. But then, of course, you need to, to be knowledgeable about it. So we are providing, um, for example, a three-hour hands-on technical training where we um, get the dealers on board with all product details, with the service process, how, how to handle a defect bike. Um, so this is definitely very important. But what I mentioned uh, in the intro is um, end consumer really rely on the opinion and the knowledge of the sales staff. So we have a dedicated sales training, considering that the target customer is totally different than what dealers know to date. So they are not enthusiastic cyclists. They are the non-cyclists, they are baby boomers, and this is a new target audience for the dealer which we have to take to into consideration. So in our sales training, we are really focusing on how to sell this new product category, which is very, very important. Thank you. And then John, you talked about um, advocacy work, and I just want to say thank you as a person who advocates for e-bike access. Um, it's really a big task to take on, and you said, you know, it's like eating the elephant one bite at a time, right? It's like start small, and you don't have to focus on the grand picture. So if you were going to suggest to your retailers to really try to embrace and go after um, legislation as far as allowing e-bikes to be, e-bike access, where would you tell them to start? Great question. Um, I'd, the first thing I would tell them is to build their army, their local army. And, uh, I, and, and to be fair, I'm not an advocacy expert, right? I, I play one on TV, I've never had. And it's really just the passion of driving an industry, and I know that sounds like a canned answer, but driving you know, new customers to our industry, coming from a conventional cyclist background and putting, getting out of my own way to say, here's you know, an opportunity. Um, so that being said, my answer is really one of, of seems like common sense. And, um, 
and that is build your army locally, right? Get your constituents, whatever name you want to attach to it, but you have a lot of people locally that believe in it. Get them together, right? Form your action plan. Again, I'll go back to Morgan put together a great guideline um, on the uh, People for Bikes website as a, just a, a guideline, a rule book to, you know, can I, here's the recipe you follow, especially for a retailer who's never done it before. Um, and just reach out to local policymakers and start the conversation, period. And from there, you're not going to get it perfect. There's never one exact way to do it, right? Use the guidance that you have. We have resources. Um, so that's where I'd say to start. There's no, you know, it's kind of like parenting. There's no one right way to do it. But your heart's there. <laughs> so on the sales floor, we approach, you know, we have a lot of customers approach us and they say, you know, you're selling a bike. Is it legal to ride? Um, how is, you know, Giant as a company ask or encouraging their retailers or um, advising their retailers how to handle those situations um, in a lot of areas where we're selling, you know, $5,000 mountain bikes that we, we don't know necessarily if they're legal to ride? Mm, great question. Um, yeah. You know, I would say, we're trying to, and I'll, I'll just be, now get out of the industry sandbox thing, we're very protective of our retailers, meaning we don't want them to take exponential risks, and when I say risk, that's inventory, that's financial risk. If they feel that they are taking too much of a risk and they don't know how the local trail system are going to go in their area, or half of them are closed and half of them are open, and that's the case all over the U.S., um, we're telling them to not to. We're telling them that we'll back them with stock. And I, that's a business decision, but the point is that's what you're asking the question, what does Giant do? We're just being very supportive of them. And it's, it's touch and go. You know, we have to make sure that we have you know, uh, the tools that they need to get in the hands of the riders that want this experience. But at the same time, we're in a tumultuous you know, sort of evolution of, of this category. And all of us are in the same boat. We're, you know, we're sort of steering the ship. At the same time, there's tides that come that we have to adapt to. Um, so that, that's one big element, um, and, and we're providing them all the resources they need. We're giving them any of the information that we have internally. We're arming them with as much information and confidence as we can, but at the same time, we're also really honest with them. We don't tell them some, you know, we try not to, to tell them that, oh no, it's gonna, it, it's gonna be fine. We'll tell them that, oh, you should probably be cautious and let's build your business in another area. Let's build your business in pavement or somewhere else. And, um, but at the same time, let's, let's work on the off pavement side of things and we'll help you do that. Perfect, thank you. <clears throat> and Chris, every time I come to a event like this, we're always looking as retailers, we're always looking for that one nugget, right? That nugget that we can take back and implement in our business to increase sales. And so your business is um, focused on a group that's not necessarily our traditional cyclists, the groups that we usually deal with on a daily basis. As a retailer who doesn't live in that same you know, area as you, how can I get the customer excited about e-bikes and build that up? Sure, um, I think that what, what Chad was mentioning about you know, people getting excited about it and about the, the salespeople getting excited about it, I think it's really critical. I think you know, some of the other questions you had brought up, I'm not sure if I'm getting that uh, <laughs> feedback here. Uh, some of the other points that were brought up you know, about how, to get, how do you get, for one, how do you get the employees excited about it? I think having really attractive employee purchase programs and I think that you know the manufacturers can do something on that side, but I think the shop has a certain responsibility to do something on that side as well. So, for for us, what we do is actually we could split the costs with the with the employee for the bike, because we feel like there's enough value in that. You know, so if it's you know a two or three thousand dollar bike at at cost or something like that, and and you know for us to split the bike costs, I think you know we'll sell many more bikes because that uh, employee is riding the bike. But really, it's about building confidence in the customer. I think that a lot of people are a little bit hesitant, especially as the price point is a little bit higher. I think you know having some of these other elements in place, like service infrastructure, having and and being able to recite these things um, really confidently to say, you know what, if there are issues with your bike, we know that we can handle it. We know that we can get your bike back on the road the same day or the next day. You know, we excel a lot because most other shops can't say that confidently. You know, one of the things, like for example, we don't charge um, warranty labor. Certain shops do charge warranty labor. 
but we feel that it's our responsibility to serve, sell a product that the quality is high enough that it's going to hold up and then they're not going to have these these extra costs associated because those costs can add up you know so it's really just building that confidence in the customer I think perfect thank you and then Chad we talked a little bit about um, you know training staff and the highly technical uh, mechanics of e-bikes and you know as a retailer I have a hard enough time finding you know qualified mechanics to work on your everyday bike uh, is this going to be a huge challenge that we're facing uh, how is specialized focusing on this training of mechanics great question um, well I mean Basically, any retailer you talk to around the country is going to tell you that just getting qualified staff, uh, qualified technical staff, is a really big challenge. We've lost a lot of people through the last years, and I think um, you know e-bikes. E-bikes, gr the growth of e-bikes has really put it front and center in front of retailers. The significance of, of having qualified staff that can work on those bikes. Um, what are we doing? I would say that what we're doing is we're, you know, we're developing our infrastructure and we're trying to be as proactive as possible to get, get, get the, you know, just get the documents out to people. Um, but I would say even that's like, we have a staff doing that. We've, we've been developing tools, diagnostic tools. You know, we're, we're, we're of course doing everything we can, but I, I'd argue it's not enough yet. Um, uh, just, uh, just following up on John's comments, really, that it had more to do with advocacy, actually, and just getting the word out on where people can ride. You know, <clears throat> put it this way, the shop owners know the significance, want to build this, and really, they need as much help from us as they can get to get their staff on board and get them trained. So I'm not talking even sales in this case, I'm talking tech. You know, for a, a, a mechanic, to actually want to learn about e-bikes and become a kind of a professional e-bike mechanic, they have to first want to do that. And I think the onus is on us to really, um, really make that as easy as possible for the owners of those stores because they, they want to make it happen. They want those folks to, to, to come up to another level. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're going to we're going to do as many webinars and start just just making it a more regular thing for 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 uh, for people to join our, our training programs. Perfect. And then maybe, you know, kind of anybody can speak to this, but, you know, the warranty issues and how are these being addressed with the e-bikes and the problems that retailers may run into and how are those handled? Who, want, who wants to hit that one? <laughs> <laughs> We've had Shimano DI2 for eight years. So we have eight years of kind of this electronic, which is a little bit, it starts to, you know, e-bikes have a lot to do with electronics. Um, so we've done, I mean, we're starting to invest in tools for our customer service guys when people call in so that we can actually take over their computer. And, and you go in, connect the bike, we'll actually do the diagnostics for you. I know we've only implemented that in the last year and that's significantly reduced time. I, I sit near the customer service guys and I hear them Trying to diagnose electrical issue over the phone can take an hour and a half. Whereas we've started to invest in tools where, okay, connect the bike, let me take over your computer, and they'll start running everything because we have the experience and we have, have done it. So that, that's greatly reduced kind of the, the efforts. And then, you know, you've got to be a little bit lenient on warranty if it comes back. You know, we understand that there's going to be some issues that it's too hard to explain and take too much time. It's like, let's bring it back and just be as a good partner to a retailer to our OEM partners just to handle the issues. Perfect, thank you. So, go ahead. We don't have experience with DI2, but we have decades of experience with cars, um, diagnosis tools with cars and reading out error codes, OBD, onboard diagnosis. So I think it's really um, very, very important to make it easiest for the dealer. So really reading out the error code, identifying the defect part, and then sending it back and we do not wait to get the part back and to justify is it a warranty issue, yes or no. We are sending the, the, the new, the replacement part out right away to ensure that the end consumer who relies on the e-bike gets back the repaired bike as soon as possible. Yes. I'd like to open it up to anyone out there. Do you have any questions? Hi, thanks. Uh, Claudia, you mentioned in your introductory presentation, you identified, I think in Europe, a young market that you referred to as intenders. Uh, younger riders 
who intend maybe to buy an e-bike, but they just haven't pulled the trigger yet. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what Bosch may be doing to try to attract that intender and pull the trigger? Yes, with pleasure. Um, so our communication and also support strategy, we call it B2B2C. B is the first B is the um, bike manufacturer, the second B is the dealer, and the C is the end consumer. So to create awareness for the product, we, we have many different um, activities. One activity is, for example, our curbside trips. Um, so we travel to big cities like New York, San Francisco, Chicago. We are meeting press there, media there, influential media there, and which is very important, non-endemic media. So not the typical bike magazines, which are very important as well, but to approach this new audience, it is very important to reach out to non-endemic media. So as a result, we, we involve dealers as well. So um, Propel can commit that, <laughs> confirm that. So in New York, for example, we reached out to um, New York Times or in Chicago to Chicago Tribune, and it ended up with a title story on Chicago Tribune. So this is how we create awareness for, um, for the product category to an, a new audience, not the cyclist, not the car cyclist, but a new audience. And another great example is the um, e-bike expo, which is a um, serious event um, organized by um, um, Thank you. <laughs> um, this is a fantastic event to reach out to the end consumer. Again, we call it um, experimental uh, marketing. So it's really um, based on you, you need to experience the bike. And with this event, in, in, in the last two years, we hit 14 different cities throughout the country. We were able to reach out to, per event, 1,000 to 2,000 customers who had not been able to experience a bike yet and by this we we are taking away the burden from dealers to provide those very very important test rides so we we make it open for families on a weekend so it is very important for us to piggyback with um with events which are not 100 percent cyclist driven tourism tourism conferences are another great um, experience to reach out really to new customers so i want to add to that question a little bit what does it look like when, you know, uh, e-bike expo comes to Phoenix and you have all these new customers? How do you reach out to the retailers beyond that? Like, is there a smooth chain of, you know, sharing that information? How can retailers get more involved in that process? So you're not just coming to town putting on an e-bike expo and nobody hears about it. You know, how can as retailers we grab a hold of those opportunities? Well, first of all, we are offering a subsidized package to the retailer so he can become really part of the event. And for us, it is very important that he is there because he, he has another approach and another experience to talk to the end consumer. We at Bosch, we talk to dealers, we talk to bike brands, but not necessarily to end consumers. So we really love to have them there. And at Bosch, we always have a list of the local dealers which are carrying Bosch, Bosch e-bikes um, to really embrace them. And the last two years, for example, therefore, by this, we, we helped more than 100 dealers to get involved because we, we are having reference lists for end consumers. Where can they, after the show, reach out? Where are dealers who are carrying Bosch systems or Bosch bikes and also who are certified? Perfect. Thank you. Anyone else have questions? Yeah, Bill with the Electric Bike Associate. Claudia, thank you for the comments. Just what you've been saying and what Nolan's been saying, it is a very different person who's coming out to these kinds of events. Uh, 17 events, 23,000 people, more than half of them are not traditional bike retail shop customers. So it's a whole new category of people. We're struggling as to how to find more of them. We are trying to take it down age group. We're finding the same thing that 25 to 30 plus and under that group, so the 18 to 30-ish, very, very difficult, very challenging to get them. Uh, we invest in social media, that's supposed to be the way to get them. We're still not able to get them there. On the bike shops inviting people in, unfortunately that's only about 5% of the attendees that came to our events out of the uh, two years that we've done this have come from the bike shop channel. And we're not sure why that's that low. We figured it would be a much, much higher number. So we're open to get ideas on how to get into that uh, audience a bit more. but. Uh, what we are finding is that more than half of the people who have attended go into a bike shop and then they leave before buying 
because they know more than the retail staff knows and they're afraid to buy from that retailer and uh, are worried that you know what if I have a problem they're not going to know what to do to fix it so we're trying to figure out what to do about that as well so. perfect any other questions so great point we're not doing all that we can do. Chad mentioned it. Everybody's kind of mentioned it. There's a reason why, you know, Ray put together a really great video series. I feel like I'm a pitch for PPSA stuff. But the point of that video series was to educate retail staff to um, reprogram themselves, number one. Forget what you know. I know you're an awesome cyclist. You show up on the Wednesday Worlds, all that stuff. But you're also in a business and you're getting paid by the owner and this is your job, right? Whether you like it or not, right? I don't like everything I do in my job every day, but I do it because I like the greater good. Point is, having the right people on board, hiring the right people, um, and it starts with the retail store. So to answer your question, I, that doesn't surprise me one bit, that there's one part of the market that is the rest, the 95 plus 98 percent of the market that's going to show up and find your event, and they either got turned away from retail because they got a bad taste in their mouth because they weren't accepted culturally, um, or they knew more, possibly, than that store. So it is an issue that, I'm not saying oh, no, no. <laughs> It is an issue that we still, I mean, it's a, an issue and a great opportunity. I don't have the answers today. I know that we're putting things in place, but as we talk about connecting and having conversations here today, um, I, I would say sharing, sharing ideas and, and putting that forward as a group, that's a, that's a big initiative. Mm -hmm. so. I, I think that's one of my biggest opportunities as a shop specializing in e-bikes is all the other shops that poo-poo e-bikes all the time. And they, customers come into my store all the time and they say, oh, I went to the shop, they had a couple e-bikes, and they just kind of push me in the corner or whatever, and, and they, you know, made me feel uncomfortable about it, and I'm here, and, you know, and... People love it, you know, and we, we make them comfortable and, and they know that we are passionate about e-bikes and we're serious about it. So I think it's, it's really, as many people have mentioned before, that, you know, the shops that are not really embracing it or, or don't have a significant amount of staff that are embracing it in a serious way, they're, they're really missing the boat. And, um, you know, that's, uh, we, we see it all the time. So when retailers are wondering whether they should sell class one e-bikes or class three e-bikes and what to stock, uh, what, are your, uh, what are the brands doing to address these questions that the retailers have as far as what to, what to stock and, um, and how to address that? I'll hit that. Well, first is, is where do you live and what are the conditions around where you're at? Um, you know, we passed pass a nice bill in, in Colorado. Um, it's, a, it's a fairly sophisticated bike market. They've embraced e-bikes. Um, but, you know, uh, Boulder, Boulder's done, uh, you know, a great job of, of highlighting that a class three bike doesn't belong on this path. Great. So the request kind of coming from shops that are in Boulder area or in, in, in Denver area is, um, you know, please give me a higher end class one bike. Like I want a good quality, you know, class one bike. I'll tell you that in many markets, I just kind of point down to Texas, I think about that. You know, it's kind of the wild west down there. They've got paths, nobody seems to care that you go 28 miles an hour and all they want is, you know, they want a relatively inexpensive class three bike. And, you know, <clears throat> we're gonna sell it to them. Um, they need to be responsible and, and, and let people know what's, what's up, what the rules are in the area. But um, so anyways, the point is this, the point is that it differs, it differs in different places. Um, and, um, you know, we're doing what we can to just, to just support them. So we want to talk a little bit more about um, how advocacy's role is, you know, growing the base. Uh, how do you guys feel about that, that advocacy addressing these issues and how is that, you know, getting more people interested in e-bikes? I think having more places to ride is a, it's a really big deal, you know, if people feel comfortable riding. I mean, I went to this uh, talk a couple years ago at Eurobike and they said, you know, one of the biggest driving factors in getting people to ride for transportation is they need to feel safe. So I think as far as advocacy, you know, one, and like bike infrastructure and, and you know, giving e-bikes a place in that bike infrastructure is 
really critical, um, but not to mention, you know, on the legal side, New York's a perfect example. I mean, the confusion around the law has presented uh, plenty of challenges for me as a business owner. So we'd have to think, you know, outside the box all the time and figure out different ways and how to get people into it and, and you know, help them to you know, be involved in this advocacy as well. Uh, so. Perfect. Thank you. Said, um, on the mountain bike side, um, I'm looking at Jason here in our office. We brought in land, uh, he brought in land managers. It's that hyper local and, and giving them experience. And we know, like I think, in the in the case where we we had done, we'd done it, we knew they were pretty against it and the the concept of it. And I think when I actually went in, thinking it was because of trail impact, right? Until you sit down with them, it's like no, the trail impact's not the issue. It's I've got a full parking lot. And I've got to manage, like, now it's like, if I bring e-bikes in, I'm going to have now 2,000 more people trying to show up. So it's really, as you sit down at the hyper-local level and find out why, what, what the issue is. Because if you go in with a blanket, right, we might say, okay, the trail impact's nothing. We, we, we've done that, right, with IMBA. We've done studies where the trail impact is, is not the issue. But you have to really understand what the concern is. And it's, you know, at this point, it was like crowds. It was safety. So there, there's a lot of different things that they... And once you know what that is, then you know the angle to kind of keep working. And, and, and it's going to take time, right? It's not going to be one meeting and you're oh, this is it, and then you're happy and, and leave. But um, so I think if you know the hyper-local level, you know what the issues are, and you really know what the concern is, then you can go about it and have a strategic approach of how you, you know, how you continue to move forward with, with those people. It might take years, right? It might take, you do it, you go back in a, a little bit and say, hey, you know, it's, here's how it's playing out. And you just keep them informed and kind of keep, keep that conversation going. Yeah, I would have to agree with that a lot. In Arizona, we, uh, we worked really hard, Larry and I, to get a lot of land managers, uh, land manager summit on e-bikes, and we noticed that that was a huge, once they got on them, they were like, I had no idea. We thought it was a motorcycle. We thought it was going to have a weed eater motor and be loud and disruptive and, you know, and then explaining to them who the target user was typically and you know it's not 16 year old kids tearing it up you know it's you know the 55 and up you know people in our case that we're purchasing them but uh, go ahead we've made a lot of progress in the industry just in a short period of time and that's great kudos to us i look at some things differently like for example the closures of you know the <clears throat> the parks in uh, la county and I don't look at that as skies falling and, you know, oh my God, don't buy any more e-bikes or, you know, stay away from EMTB. E I look at it as actually, it's like the conversation is going to come a lot faster than what it was before and it could have bubbled up to something a lot worse. So now you're forcing a conversation. You have interested user groups, that's clear. You have trails, you have opposing sides. There's just an issue that needs to be worked with. But it really comes down to this. Human beings can either ruin everything, <laughs> which they always do, I like to say, or they can work together. And it is, it, it, the advocacy part is just relationships. That, that's really what it is, and you have to maintain those relationships. And it, it's, it's nothing more. It's not, you know, it's not binary code. It's not, <laughs> you know, it's not computers. Um, you have to work at it. So. Uh, so just one more thing on the advocacy thing. I, I think that actually uh, Specialized had a great recommendation as far as when the, they launched the Lebo program as far as connecting with local trail building groups. And I think that that's, that's a, a really big deal and it's, and it's very symbolic of I think a way that we can make a lot of progress here. And it's just really about trying to be helpful instead of just saying like I deserve this, you know, and to say can I help to like build on this community that you guys have done such a great job cultivating? So I think whether it's in e-mountain bikes or it's in the cities or that sort of thing, just kind of thinking in that way because e-bikes are a little bit later to the game. So we're, you know, we're, we, we have a lot to learn from those that came before us. I don't want Chad to feel left out. So I'm going to ask him what's new on the technology front. I what? can't tell you. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> yeah, I, Actually, I'll I can speak. You know, obviously, there's been there's been some um, there's been some road bikes road bikes coming on the scene, and um, you know, really, to the credit of of what we've done with our group and and basically created the three class system, 
You know, I believe we are going to be, we are basically set up to, to, to drive the future of e-bikes out of, out of the United States, okay? To date, it's come out of Europe, and that's, that's all terrific, but I'm just saying, the higher speed opportunity that we have, <laughs> I didn't mean that in any bad way, Claudia, give me a hug. No, um, <laughs> no the, the opportunity that we have, especially in terms of people that really can pedal faster than 20 miles an hour, they're not really gonna pedal much faster than 28 miles an hour, but you know, getting some assistance over 20 miles an hour will, will open up uh, a, you know, the market to a whole nother group of people that aren't really looking at it today. And once again, that's not really uh, even an option to any other country except New Zealand, to my knowledge. Um, so, um, you know, we have just a great opportunity as an industry to, uh, to capitalize on that and keep driving into basically all facets of, uh, of, of, of riders. Perfect, Claudia. <laughs> I would like to uh, state that Europe is still continuing to participate in this innovation process. So when it comes to new products, I think it's worth it to have a look at Eurobike, what have been the, the latest product trends. One big trend, and everybody's on the train here, is definitely integration. So the integration of the battery, which is huge. And then, of course, um, the size of the components. So we call it integrative design, making them very small, very compact, and giving the bike manufacturer the possibility to create great bikes around it. And then one, one big really important trend for the future is really connectivity. Um, a, a, a very important barrier today where people do not purchase e-bike is um, being afraid of theft. So theft protection is, and, and scanning the bike and all those things are definitely very important. So connectivity and, or Internet of Things um, is a main driver for the future as well. Perfect, thank you. Mercedes? Hi, my name is Mercedes Ross. I run a nonprofit program which is called Project Bike Tech, which puts um, bicycle mechanic classes into high schools in the junior and senior year. So my question is to you. Um, thank you for bringing that up. We're producing kids. You all need to support us <laughs> that will be your mechanics moving forward and employees. But my question to the entire e-bike community is this and I'm gonna wear my retail hat for a little while because I've worked with many retailers over the years. What are you doing to help the retailers, A, train their mechanics in this arena, the mechanics that are existing, and make that a comfortable place for them to work? Can we look to the motorcycle industry to see what they've done to train their mechanics from that standpoint, number one? Number two, um, in the design of the stores and the fact that all these new consumers are coming to our stores, what are we doing as a community to embrace those new consumers? Are we educating our retailers on the mechanic part of it, on the service part of it, and the store design to make these new consumers feel co comfortable in our environments? And that's my question. That was a really good question. I, I, can, I can try to tackle that. Um, I think there's some of uh, uh, the store design part, which you're an expert at. I am not. Uh, experts are, are back there. As a matter of fact, our sort of experts on, uh, on service and, and marketing are all sitting at a table back there, so I'll speak for them. Um, floor, you know, short, store design, there's some good examples now that are being built out that bring the service side to the consumer like you would for motorcycle mechanics and, and auto dealerships that now ease the burden, right? You don't get put into a dark room and what, oh my God, what's happening with my precious car, or my bicycle, my motorcycle. But far and wide, that doesn't exist. We have a ton of opportunity to do that. There, there's a lot of opportunity for that. Um, on the service side, just as Chad said, we're, we're doing all the, you know, all the basics and beyond. There's all sorts of ways to learn how to work on the devices, whether that's hands-on, whether it's us going to them, whether it's them coming to us, having um, you know, um, online platforms, um, lots of you know, supplemental materials for that, um, training our sales reps, I mean, all those things that are, that are normal, it's still not enough. Um, the reason why it isn't is because one of the main things is, you mentioned, is spot on. Um, we've seen in a very short period of time, retailers who carried multiple brands have now said, no way can't do it. 
I got to carry this because these people have their stuff together when it comes to the technical side and that's why I can rely on because our customer cares about that we have to you know run an efficient business on on that side in order to turn around the service as Chad had mentioned so all everybody you know everything that everybody is saying really does play out absolutely agree that there's a lot more to go and I think outside of our industry um, there's some great examples to, to look to but baby steps so perfect thank you so I, I think you brought up an important, important point um, as far as, you know, like looking to other industries and that sort of thing. I think we can, we can also look to some of the areas where the traditional bike industry has kind of fallen behind and maybe not excelled as well as it could in some of the service areas and that sort of thing, whether it's charging enough for service or professionalizing enough and that sort of thing. And I think that there's there are some new opportunities with e-bikes specifically to to do that and to introduce it in a new way i mean that's that's the one thing when our one part of our whole concept for the design of the store is when somebody comes to the shop they can't feel like they're in a traditional bike shop they they need to just totally dispel all those concepts because if they came into the store and they think they're in a traditional bike shop they might think that the purchase price might start at you know, three or five hundred dollars. For our store, it starts at twenty-five hundred dollars. So, how do we handle that? You know, I mean, obviously that's an e-bike-only shop. That's a little bit of a different scenario, but it's it's getting to people to think differently. And and I also think that it's a great thing for you know high school kids and stuff like that because I think that technology, specifically younger people, are generally a little bit more comfortable with technology. And we found that troubleshooting and stuff like that. We found that a lot of times younger people are a little bit more comfortable with it. We look to trade schools, technical schools. My best mechanic was, he went to an aviation high school and he's, he's the best guy I've had ever, you know? And he's one of the youngest guys, but he's excellent, so. Thanks. I have Dave Hansen. I'm Dave from Jack's Bicycles here in uh, Southern California. So my mind's turning here, and the challenges are always the big thing that I want to get over. And I passed to John a note a few moments ago to get three of my staff members in one of my store, give them each a demo bike, get them, let them pick an electric bike. They can have it for a period of time, and they can ride to work. What a great way to get their butts on a bike, get them to experience it. Um, so I just called one of them right now. I just walked out and I called him. I says, if I got you a, a demo electric bike, would you ride it to work? And he said, no. <laughs> and I said, what? I was like, you know, if my boss years ago were to give me a bike to ride to work, I'm like, yeah. And you get to pick it. And he said, no. First, I wanted to reach through the phone and kind of wring his neck a little bit and say, don't you understand you're supposed to say yes to this? But I didn't do that. I just said, well, why not? He says, because I'm just traditional and I just like riding, riding my bikes. And right away, my mind went, wow, that probably transfers to when a client comes in. He doesn't even want to go talk to that electric <laughs> bike guy, too. Yeah. I mean, that's where my mind went. He would do that for me. But boy, when you talk about, go ahead. He probably, probably you know, I'm trying to soften it for myself so I don't melt right here in front of everybody, right? Wow, I got a lot of work in front of me. But I'm still going to ask the other two guys, John, and see if they will, right? I wrote three, uh, three down. Oh, you crossed one out? You got one out? Dave to fire? And he's such a nice guy, too. But I'm going to have to fire him later. I'm going to have a long lunch. I'll catch up with you guys after lunch. <laughs> I see a question back here. Uh, it's more of a statement. The question earlier was, uh, what's the industry doing to support uh, people in the stores? And uh, I'd like to point out that the Light Electric Vehicle Association has been offering two-day classes in how to fix electric bikes since 2010. We generally run something between two and six classes a year, and we've got about 300 people that have been through them since, since 2010. We also offer a free online course and I'm not exactly sure how many people have taken it, but I get about one or two a day. And recently, we have allied ourselves with the Professional Bicycle Mechanics Association. A few days or a few weeks ago in uh, Denver, we educated 70 uh, mechanics who were attending that program. 
So I think that this is something that this group needs to be aware of. This is an ongoing education. It's brand agnostic. And the subject is how to fix an e-bike, not how to fix somebody's particular brand, but how to fix all e-bikes. Thanks. Thanks very much. All right, I think this is on. So I'm Todd Ketch. I'm with uh, Pedigo. I'm a dealer in um, Northern Virginia. And so I'll ask, uh, going back to the question you asked earlier about class one and class three bikes and what you would carry in your store, I'll ask the obvious question about class two bikes, which is, so um, that office offers some functionality uh, that is really attractive and maybe even needed by some customers. And so I just wonder about some of the thoughts that you might have about positioning that technology uh, in uh, uh, retail locations to, to serve that market that is you know, older, maybe may, has some more uh, limited mobility issues and things that, that that functionality is really important to them. You know, I think you heard it, you kind of heard this from me, but we have a retail channel and we have a, and we have a customer group and our strategy from the beginning has been building on kind of riders that see the bikes as, as, a, as a bicycle and they're pedaling it and they have a very much a, a, a cycling experience. Um, and so that, for better or for worse, that's what our brand feels we can add into the space. And so we've, we've pursued that direction. Um, I think just by looking at uh, the success that Pedigo's had, the range of dealers, the range of customers that are coming in those stores buying those bikes, which are not inexpensive bikes either, um, I think it's clear that there's a range of customers that value that. Uh, we've done every, I mean, I certainly um, uh, have, have, have allowed through it through our class system. And, you know, I think, it, I think it's somewhat indicative of probably the biggest part of the market that's out there today. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that's going to change as we continue just evolving and, and, and building on the, the pedal assist business. Um, but, um, you know, to me, I recognize that's probably one of the biggest pieces, one of the pieces out there today. But it's something that we just, it's just not part of what our brand's gonna pursue. So, can I speak to that real quick? So, our shop, we only sell class one and class three, uh, mainly, well, in, in many ways, because class two bikes are explicitly illegal in New York City. Um, so, we, we've been, we participate in this conversation almost every day. Uh, and customer comes in the store and they say, well, I need a throttle, I don't really understand, you know, I have these limitations, but what we found is nine times out of 10, when you put somebody on a pedal assist bike, they're really fine. Um, so I think there's a, there is this idea in people's heads that they need a throttle, but I think that the majority of people, with some exceptions, don't really need it. And it's, it's a tough conversation, um, but we do feel that in a lot of ways, it is safer uh, to have pedal assist as opposed to throttle. Um, and this, the city has taken a really strong stance on that. So, you know, but that's, that's a topic for another discussion. So, thanks. Perfect. I would love to do this all day, but we got to wrap it up. So I'm going to start with you, Nolan, and um, do just a quick 30-second wrap-up, and then we'll go down the line. So, I, I mean, I think the, the coolest thing I've seen is as we go to see, I get fortunate to travel to a lot of bike shops and throughout the country and different types of bike shops, e-bike shops, and we've been pretty keenly interested in e-bike shops. Um, what's been super inspiring is when you go to someone that's doing it really well and the positivity and the energy in some of those shops, it's phenomenal. Like it, it's super cool to see and it's pretty inspiring. And, and if it's a pedago shop and if it's a class two and people are doing it, and that's what they want to do if they have more people on bikes. Even if it's that, I'm supportive of that. And I just the energy is really cool around the space. And the people that are doing it well, the retailers, a lot of them will tell me, uh, don't tell anyone I'm doing this well. Or, you know, like, oh, this is, um, but the energy, that's, it's, it's inspiring for us. And I hope, I, I hope that's, you know, signal for the future of the, the industry. So it's super fun. So that's what I'll close with. Thank you. Claudia? Yeah, what I mentioned in the beginning, what is really crucial for us at this early stage of, of the market is working as an e-bike industry together to focus all our activities to raise awareness. So a lot of our activities within Bosch are not focused on Bosch brand, but really we are doing a lot just to really work 
for the awareness of the category itself. This is what the market needs at the moment and this is therefore my, my wish, my request, let's work together um, and get this market growing. Perfect, thank you. John? Um, just to reiterate what I said earlier, um, don't try to do too much. Um, understand your limitations, set a, set a goal out for the year when it comes to um, you know, spreading the love. Um, but have a plan, be very, very proactive, make sure everybody on your staff, whether you're a manufacturer, uh, a retailer or whatnot, um, be unified. Make sure everybody's unified and on the same page and everybody has an equal amount of understanding of the product experience itself, um, as well as um, how to sell it. Um, yeah, and, and understand that it's, that it's not a short-term fix, that there's um, relationships that have to be maintained and you have to listen and be supportive and you're not always gonna be able to steer the, the ship where you want it, so. Perfect, thank you, Chris. I'm very excited about the growth of the industry. I mean, from my side, I think one of the things, just kind of speaking to the industry, I think it's uh, something that should be considered that's kind of been brought up here, but I think just like long-term support of products, I think that that's something that maybe is not as strict as it probably should be in the industry. Um, you know, talking about like backwards compatibility and just long-term support and that sort of thing. And I think that uh, it's it's something that really needs to be considered more strongly, so we don't make this like a you know a toy industry, a throwaway product or that sort of thing. Thanks. Thank you, and Chad. Mm, just I'd say overall, this is uh, at least for for me, and I think for Specialized, it's been a pretty inspirational experience. Really taking a, a, a very messy situation, and I'm mostly talking just kind of legally no real class identification for these bikes gotten it to where we have already um, really it's 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 amazing that we've been able to do that and then uh, the the related part is we basically just did it by getting a few folks together rolling up our sleeves having some great leadership frankly and then um, and and I think that you know anybody any any retailer anybody that wants to be involved in this space they just have to do the same thing in their area you know whether that's whether that's reaching out to to the land use manager that they they know or somebody knows just just reach out get a small group together figure it out it's going to be different in every place i mean it, it, just like i said the, the environmental conditions are different everywhere some shops sell a lot of mountain bikes some shops are right in the middle of a big city and you know there's nobody that's going to be able to just drop a manual of do it like this and you're going to win. You know, you just have to figure it out for yourselves. And I, I think that's, you know, that's what we do. I mean, we're all pretty resourceful folks and we think we've kind of gotten it far enough along at this point that if you want to have success, you, you can, you know, just, just, just figure it out. Well, thank you. I'm going to wrap it up. I just want to say thanks for all the work that you guys do to help us uh, grow this emerging market. And we're really excited. Um, could we get a round of applause for my awesome panel? That was Brandy Lee Pack of Global Bikes. Thanks go to our panel members, Nolan Moser of Shimano America, Claudia Wasco of Bosch eBike Systems Americas, John Munhall of Giant Bicycles, Chris Nolte of Propel Bikes, and Chad Price of Specialized Bicycle Components. For Shimano America and Aztec, this is Shuji Sakai. We'll see you on the next episode of Shop Talk.